Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following recording is from our Sunday morning gathering. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. And so if you guys haven't been with us or you haven't been studying with us, um, I just kind of want to bring to remembrance some of the things that we've been exploring in the text of 1 Corinthians. It was Paul's letter to the first century church in Corinth. It was a letter um, that Paul wrote to the church that he planted on his missionary journeys. It was made up uh, entirely of first-generation Christians, meaning there wasn't a lot of examples um, for these early Christians to follow, meaning that you know, mom and dad weren't believers. They didn't have a praying grandma to kind of teach them what it was like to follow Jesus. And that's one of the reasons Paul is having to write this letter is that there are questions that are being asked. There's reports that he's, being, that he's receiving about things that are wrong within the church. And so he, he's, he's coming to bring correction, but essentially he's trying to answer the question, what does it look like to actually live like a Christian? What does it actually look like to follow Jesus in everyday life? And there are some important big topics that he begins to address. And so one of the first things that he kind of, um, the first part of the book, the first six chapters or so, is Paul dealing with correction to spiritual issues. There's division that is running rampant in the church. There is sin that is uh, not being addressed in the church. And Paul is writing to bring correction to those areas in the first few chapters. But chapter 7 is unique because it begins to pivot and he begins to answer questions that the Corinthians were asking. And he begins to respond to particular questions. Now, we don't have a copy of that letter. We don't know exactly what the Corinthians were asking, but we can, uh, we can kind of uh, fill in the blank, if you will, based upon some of Paul's answers to figure out what they were asking in that letter. And so that's what we're going to do. The first of which, uh, the first kind of list of questions that Paul begins to address is in regards to marriage. And I mentioned last week that Adam did a great job in uh, kind of looking at these first few verses and talking about the gift of marriage as well as the gift of singleness, uh, understanding that they're both uniquely uh, gifts that God can use. Um, and that theme, I think, carries through the entirety of the chapter. We're going to do our best to get through chapter 7 today. Um, but the main point or thrust of these verses uh, really has to deal with that whether you're single or whether you're married, both are gifts from God. Your singleness is a gift from God. Your marriage is a gift from God. And uh, we just, I, I think it's important that we don't let the one or the other distract us from pleasing the Lord. And so uh, that's easier said than done, right? I remember being a single man. I remember... Uh, you know, wanting to please the Lord. And it seemed like without fail, I would have pastors or men of God tell me, as soon as you stop looking and thinking about a spouse, one will show up. 
I don't know if anybody else heard that language or had received that. It's just like, you just need to stop thinking about it and the right person will walk into your life. I can, uh, I can be quick to tell you single people, um, I don't think that that is true. <laughs> I tried the not thinking about it very hard. Didn't work any better for me. Uh, I joke and I kid. Uh, seriously, that, that didn't work for me. I, I had entire seasons of my life where I was like, God, I'm not even going to think about a girl. My youth pastor would tell me, he'd tell me this, he'd give me this advice. He said, Nate, girls will send you to hell faster than Satan himself. <laughs> and it's 2024, so uh, anyway, never mind. I'm not going to go down that road, but I... Uh, I can see how the, uh, I can see from where Paul is standing here when he's talking about singleness, when he's talking about marriage. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here, and so we're gonna we're gonna jump in and talk about this a little bit. Last week, um, my wife actually was sick with strep throat, um, and it seems like our house either gets sick either on Saturday night or Sunday morning. Also, when it likes to like snow a lot and just seems like to be always disruptive right around the time we're supposed to have church. And so my wife is uh, the children's minister here as well, so she typically teaches the children. Uh, now, last week, we had always planned for Adam to be teaching, and so that worked out really well. And uh, we woke up in the morning, and my wife sends me a text. I was already down here at the church saying that there's no way she was going to be able to come to church today, that she had a fever, she had a sore throat. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm looking at the text that Adam is dealing with, which First uh, Corinthians chapter 7 begins with talking about marital relations. It begins talking about sex. And typically, we might have a family Sunday where we have uh, younger crowds and kids in here. Um, but I think last week, it was appropriate for us to have kids' church, which we did, <laughs> which was a which was a good thing, um, and uh, I say that because I actually did kids' church last week, and it was uh, terrifying, and it was startling, and I can say, honestly, I would much rather teach adults than teach kids, but I will say this, nobody died, nobody got hurt, we actually talked about Jesus, we attempted to do a craft. Linda made fun of me because she came downstairs at the end of service and there was paper flying everywhere and kids were running around scissors. My kids decided, uh, my kids decided to not only try to eat the glue stick, but also decided to eat a pair of scissors or try to eat a pair of scissors. And not even like chewing on the handle. Simeon had the whole blade of scissors in his mouth and it was a terrifying thing. So I may not be qualified to teach kids' church. And this might be the perfect place for me to make a plug. Guys, we need help and volunteers in kids' church. If I can do it and come out remotely unscathed, you definitely can do a better job than I can. And so if you can pass a background check, uh, more than that, uh, talk to Kelly. We could use help with teaching kids' church. Um, I'm saying that because last week we, we began talking about marital intimacy. And, you know, that, that makes an interesting discussion for a family Sunday. It's something that I think needs to happen. It's something that the church shouldn't shy away from. That's not necessarily something that we should shy away from teaching our kids. Um, but I don't want to necessarily rehash last week's text. But there, 
there is a strong warning from the text for us to be on guard when it comes to sexual immorality. And, and one of the points that I would really like to make before we jump into this kind of next vein of teaching is that the enemy loves to weaponize sex inside and outside of marriage. And so I, I think if I could put it plainly, I, I think a good explanation of this is that the devil very much wants unmarried people to have sex. And he will throw every temptation and tactic in your way in order to get that to happen outside of the covenant of marriage. And it will destroy and disrupt everything that God has in store for your life. I'm not saying that, that God can't redeem. I'm not saying that God can't restore. But it is a tactic and a tool of the enemy to bring destruction. In the same way, if the Lord or if the enemy would like to have unmarried people to have sex, he also wants married people not to. And he will try to disrupt your marriage through sexual immorality as well. Um, and I say that it's just something that we need to be on guard with. And I think the very the, the first few verses of chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians 7 really, really kind of exhibit that. And it's not an attempt to be vulgar. It's the simple truth. Um, and I, I think it's something that we need to be on guard with. Sex is a big deal to God because marriage is a big deal to God. And it's something that we should be aware of. And don't be surprised if the enemy is trying to disrupt your life with this. It is a tactic and a tool of the devil. If it is a struggle for you, if it's a struggle for your marriage, if it's a struggle for you in your singleness, you are not alone in this. You have a real enemy, an adversary whose name is the devil who wants to see you fail. But as the community and the household of God, I want you to know that we are here for one another. This is a safe place. This is where we need to be as we walk through these trials and temptations. Does that make sense? Can, can you guys hear my heart on that? If there are issues, if there are problems, if there are things that you're struggling with, there are believers here in this room that will partner with one another and help us through those difficulties. We have small groups. We have discipleship classes. We have things that we want to see um, we want to see relationships thrive in this church. And not only that, we want to see those in their singleness strive. Uh, not strive. Um, whoa, did I? Thrive. Did I say strive in the previous verse too? No? Okay. You guys got me. Woo! Doo, 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 doo. Well, with all that being said, let's jump into the text. Is that cool? Adam got to talk about sex last week, and then he left me with the messy part of saying, hey, you get to teach about divorce. Woo. Um, <laughs> no, but we're, I'm excited actually to jump into the word and talk about marriage, talk about divorce, and talk about God's plan for our lives. And so let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. It says this, Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than burn with passion. Now to the married... I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, and if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer 
and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that there is hope for us. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your design and your plan for marriage is good. We give you thanks and we give you glory. I ask, Lord, for Holy Spirit, you to mark my words here as, uh, as we continue to talk about this topic. Lord, we need your help and we need your spirit to direct and lead us. So we welcome your presence once again in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, guys, before we begin to break this down verse by verse and before we begin to walk through this and, and get very specific, I want to be clear. I've seen these passages of Scripture. I've seen these verses used verbatim to manipulate people into staying in situations that are not okay. I have heard these scriptures quoted um, in, a, in a super spiritual sense to justify things that God is not okay with. And I, I think it's important that we approach this topic very carefully um, because we're all in this room today coming from a myriad of different backgrounds, myriad of different life situations, um, where no, no two people's stories look the same. And so I say this because we've all heard it said that God hates divorce. And I believe that and I stand by that statement and I'm not making any apologies for what the text says here. But we know that God hates divorce because God hates sin. Do you understand this? He hates broken promises. He hates broken covenant. But let's not forget that God hates abuse as well. He hates infidelity. He hates sexual immorality. He hates lying as well. Those do not get a free pass from the judgment and justice of God. And so I'm not saying that uh, every or even most reasons in our culture or even in their culture that they had for divorce are biblically valid, but I do believe that scripture makes allowances for different scenarios. And we're going to look at some of those, and this isn't here. My big, my big concern this morning, because I know everybody here is walking into this place from a different place and a different point in life, that we've all walked through things, we've all seen things, we've all uh, have some experience on some level with marriage, with divorce, with these things. I want to tell you this, that the grace of Jesus is sufficient for us today. Regardless of if you're married, regardless of if you're single, whether you've been divorced or you've been remarried, um, whoever you are today, maybe you're married to an unbeliever and, and you're reading these things and, and I hope you would find hope in these words, but there is grace from the Lord for good things to come out of whatever your situation is right now. And God can receive glory from wherever you are as you yield yourself to him. Does that make sense? I want you to hear that above everything today, but we also are going to look at the text and we're going to look at explicitly what Jesus says, what Paul is saying here, what the scriptures say. And I think it's important for us to let, um, to let our decisions be made 
by the instruction of Scripture, by the instruction of the Lord, and not just good feelings or good advice. Does that make sense? And so I want to look at this. Um, kind of, we're going to work through verse by verse here, not, not uh, throughout the entirety of the chapter, but just some things that I really want to point out. And beginning in verse 8, we see this command from Paul saying, Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. And so there was this common thought in Corinth, and this is what Paul is addressing here, that to be single and to be celibate somehow made you more holy. And so Paul is certainly a fan here of this lifestyle. He's certainly, uh, he's certainly an advocate of being single. And he's, but even in that sense, he's correct. He's quick to correct the thought process here um, that it doesn't make you more holy. And I know Adam talked a little bit about this last week, but to be single or to be married, uh, neither one makes you more spiritual. And I know for a long time, especially as I was kind of starting out in ministry and wanting to pursue, uh, pursue being a minister, being a single guy in ministry definitely made it feel like I was less than. Um, and uh, Which is weird because you look at Jesus, you look at Paul, these guys were single guys and they were pretty effective ministers. But even, even uh, not being married as a young man, uh, feeling a call from the Lord into ministry, there was definitely this mentality that somehow you were less than and less capable of God using you um, if you weren't married. And there are some situations where it's more difficult to minister as a single person, but at large, you're not more or less spiritual based upon your marital status. Does that make sense there? Good. And so Paul is trying to bring correction to this. And so are there practical benefits to each side? 100% yes. Each are gifts from the Lord. But this is something that I want to highlight because Paul would later write to Timothy that forbidding to marry or advising people not to marry as a, for spiritual reasons was actually a doctrine of demons. He says this is demonic. This is what he would write in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says this in verses 1 through 3. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That, that exists beyond the scope of just what we're talking about marriage here. There are plenty of people today that are following teachings and following things that sound good in practice, but are actually the doctrine of demons. But he goes on to say, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so to put it very plainly, to put it very clearly as we're working through this text, Paul is a fan of marriage. He's not anti-marriage and he's not just pro-singleness. He sees the value and benefit from both and he wants people to understand that they're gifts from God. Again, this is things that Adam covered last week. But if we jump into verse 9, it says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so uh, I, I think we see here that there is a legitimate safe place, a legitimate refuge in regards to the marriage covenant that, uh, that exists um, to alleviate some of the pressures of sexual immorality. 
But I want to be very clear here. Marriage is not an escape from lust or sexual sin. Getting married does not solve that problem. If you have a a struggle with pornography, if you have a struggle with lust, if you have a struggle with sexual immorality, marriage does not simply provide a way of escape for that. And I'm, I'm shocked by the number of conversations that I've had and that I continue to have with people, uh, with guys in particular, that get married and they're shocked to find out that they still struggle with pornography. And they're shocked to find out that they're still struggling with lust. And they have all of these different urges and these different things that they thought would just go away once they got married. Um, And I want to be clear that that's something that the Holy Spirit needs to deal with in your life. Married or not, it's not something that just magically goes away when you say, I do. And, uh, but in context of this verse, there is legitimate reason for marriage here in regards to sexual purity that we see. And so uh, I, I'm not going to exhaustively go through all of chapter 7's. Uh, we're not going to have time this morning to answer different uh, specifics or, or speculate about different scenarios. But one of the things about this passage that I think is abundantly clear is that God takes marriage very seriously. Far more seriously than our culture takes it. More seriously than the Corinthian church took the covenant of marriage. Even more serious than first century Jews and the religious leaders of Jesus' day took marriage. Because when we see this command of, uh, of Paul, when we see this command of scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it doesn't distinguish whether or not people are followers of Jesus before or after they got married. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to explain that statement here in just a second. But Matthew chapter 19 Um, we see the Lord's command that Paul would reference here. In in Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, it says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? He goes on, he says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, these are the words of Jesus. This isn't Pastor Nate. This isn't even Paul here. This is not my opinion. But I want, I want to be clear. When Paul is talking about a direct command from the Lord, because if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it can be somewhat confusing because he says, uh, this I received as a command from the Lord. And he says that a woman should not leave her, her husband, right? And, and that they shouldn't get divorced. And then we go on, he says, now... I, as Paul, am saying this. It's not a command from the Lord, but this is what I say. He's not saying that we shouldn't listen to him. He's, we're not, he's not saying that it doesn't carry weight or authority, but it, it can almost be viewed as uh, quotation marks, right? When you're quoting somebody, 
Um, he's quoting Jesus and he's referencing this explicit command from the Lord. We see it again in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about marriage. But um, hopefully this is helpful as we kind of look at the text. And so... Um, As I read that passage, as I, as I look at this scripture, I think it's important for us to make note that Jesus makes provision. He makes allowance here for divorce in regards to sexual immorality. And we'll see, we'll see Paul make allowance and permission for divorce in regards to, um, in regards to abandonment. But what we don't see is a command for divorce. And I say this because I have heard remarkable, incredible testimonies of of restoration from the most tumultuous of circumstances. And I'm not saying that if, if somehow you, if there has been infidelity, if there has been legitimate grounds for divorce, um, Scripture makes allowance for it. Jesus permits it but he never explicitly commands it. I hope you can hear that from me today. Um, it's, a heavy, it's a heavy, hard thing to look at. But if we continue on, I, I, the historical context of what Paul is addressing here is important because I've talked about the notion that uh, the Corinthians had this idea of being single somehow made you more spiritual, even to the point where Adam talked about last week where there were married couples that were not having relational intimacy because they thought it would somehow make them more holy or more spiritual. And Paul is having to bring correction to these things. Um, but Christians were considering, like here, th- this passage of scripture was dealing with believers we had believers that were considering divorcing one another and becoming single and celibate once again because somehow that would make them more spiritual. And Paul is saying, no, that is dumb. Don't do that. (laughs) You shouldn't do that. Do you remember what Jesus, our Lord, taught us? That doesn't make you more spiritual. That doesn't make you more holy. You should not divorce one another. And so then we have this thought that arose um, um, especially because it, it, this, this is where we kind of get into verses 12, um, where Paul begins to deal with believers being married to unbelievers. Now, this is unique because this is the first century church, right? This is brand new believers that are coming to Jesus. No one grew up in the church, so there wasn't a bunch of believers around when people were uh, you know, picking their spouses or getting married or, or going along here. And so the people becoming married or people being married to unbelievers was uh, a common practice here. And so then this thought arises that God wouldn't be pleased by a believer staying married to an unbeliever. And so the Corinthians assumed that they should divorce them for the sake of their own spirituality. The idea would arise that God wouldn't want me as a believer to be, be, to be married to someone who isn't a believer. And so, therefore, we probably should 
divorce. We should probably separate was the logic of the Corinthians. And so this is, a, this is what the text says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12. He says, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Again, this is where those quotation marks would end. It's not that we shouldn't take Paul's word seriously. He's just not directly quoting Jesus again. He says, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. So he's bringing this correction between a, believe, a believer in a marriage and an unbeliever in a marriage. And he says, um, he says, no, you shouldn't get divorced just because you believe differently here if the unbelieving spouse is willing to stay. And it's interesting though, you know, this thought process of the Corinthians that there should be a separation, that there should be a split um, because the concern from the Corinthians here is valid. It's 100% valid because it's a difficult thing to be married even when your priorities line up. Uh, married people in the room can attest to that, right? Even when you agree about your finances, even when you agree about how you're going to raise your kids, even if you agree about what you're going to eat for dinner, being married is still a difficult thing that has all kinds of challenges that arise. But imagine as you start to follow Jesus, all of your priorities get upended, right? If, if you've encountered Jesus legitimately, your priorities do kind of get a reversal. <laughs> Things begin to change with your thoughts about your money not being your own anymore, uh, your life not being your own anymore, about how you're going to, to serve other people, uh, how you're going to serve your spouse, how are, you, how are you going to live life. And it's really difficult to please the Lord and please your spouse at the same time if your spouse is not following the Lord. And so this, this, this dichotomy emerges where the Corinthians are thinking, well, it'd probably just be a good idea for us to separate, right? It, it's difficult. It's hard. It's going to be very difficult. Some of you in this room are, are understanding, um, when I'm saying this, you're resonating with this thought process. You're resonating with this scenario right now, or maybe you have a spouse that isn't following Jesus and you're trying to follow Jesus or, or, or you're trying to, to figure out your priorities and it's hard to honor your spouse and stay obedient to God at the same time. And it places you almost in an impossible situation. And so I think that this is the reason why Paul would adamantly warn believers to not be yoked with unbelievers. This is something that he'll go on in his second letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And this, this, this language of Paul isn't in, in explicit reference to marriage. It, it carries even a broader stroke about any kind of contractual engagement with people but it's certainly applicable to marriage where this warning here is that you should not be yoked together. Now, he's not saying that because marriage is held in such high regard by God, marriage is held in such high regard as a covenant before God. He's saying that if you, were, if you, were, um, if you weren't believers when you got married and one of you became a believer, don't stop being married. Don't separate as long as the other spouse is willing. And so 
While the concern here from the Corinthians and the logic behind it is, is somewhat valid, it's not a legitimate reason, Paul says, to end marriage. But what we do see is that marriage is a lifelong commitment. And it doesn't take into consideration whether or not you were believers before or if you come to faith during. That covenant of marriage, what we see from the scriptures, is something that God holds in high regard. Across what you believe or what you don't believe, he still sees the covenant of marriage as something to be treated as holy, not treaded with lightly. It's, if, I, if I could say that the underlying point or the theme of this chapter in these verses, I think it could simply be explained as be careful, be cautious about who you choose to enter into this covenant with. And so this would, be, this would be something that I would caution those single people in the room. Those of you that are, are, those of you that, um, are not in marriage currently, please, please, don't enter into relationship with another lightly. When you're looking for a spouse, don't do so with kind of flippant disregard because we see here in 1 Corinthians 7, at the end here, I'm going to skip a bunch, but at 39, we see marriage defined by the Lord as a lifelong commitment. It says a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, right? This is the till death do us part kind of part of our vows. Paul says if the husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he places this contingency upon us when we're looking for a spouse. He must belong to the Lord. I don't have a lot of relationship advice for people today. I don't have all the answers of personality profiles on your, uh, what's that weird thing where you have a wing, Enneagram thing? I don't know what that is. Enneagram? Yeah, I don't know what that is. I heard it's demonic. Um, <laughs> I'm not here to kind of tell you that or do premarital counseling. But when you're looking for a spouse, and this is if you're dating somebody, if you're considering dating somebody, if you're in a relationship with someone, this isn't, this isn't just Pastor Nate's ex experience or opinion that is speaking here. I, I'm speaking to you from the scriptures, from the Lord, make sure they belong to the Lord. Make sure their hearts are set after Jesus because it is going to be an impossible situation for any of you to say yes continually to the Lord and what he wants for your life and still be able to honor and serve your spouse if they're not following the Lord in the same way. Now, I don't want you to take this as a death sentence or as, a, as just kind of a, a lack of hope because maybe you're in a situation right now where you are married, you've entered into covenant, you've said, you've said vows before God Almighty, and you do not have a spouse that is saying yes to Jesus like you wish that they would. Paul gives us hope here. He says, who are you to know whether or not they might be saved because of you? Please continue to model faithfulness to Jesus. 
I don't know of anybody in this room who this would apply to. I'm not, I'm not speaking to anybody's personal stories. But there is hope for your family members to come to know Jesus by the way that you model faithfulness to him. That is something you should be encouraged by. This isn't exactly the the funnest topic to preach on. They're having fun downstairs though. (laughs) Maybe that's what I should have done as I was talking to the Lord and asking, God, I I, I honestly struggled and debated uh, and argued with the Lord. Does anybody ever argue with the Lord? He typically wins. If you won, you didn't really win. Because <laughs> I don't want this to, isn't, this isn't fun for me to preach. And we, we have visitors here today. I know a lot of your stories. I know everybody in here has been affected by divorce and, and marriage in some way. And I know that it's hurtful. <laughs> I know that these things are not easy to receive sometimes. And this is why I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would make this connect because it can't just be my words. But I can't make apologies for what the scriptures say. Marriage is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever encountered, that I've received from the Lord outside of salvation. I've seen God do so much and teach me so much about himself because of the gift of marriage in my life. And I'm grateful for it. I have friends that have been on the other side of that spectrum where they are single and serving the Lord and God is using them mightily. And I'm so encouraged by it. But at the end of the day, all of this kind of comes to a point of we need to be following Jesus. And we need to be living our lives to please the Lord not ourselves, not our spouses, but the lordship of Jesus is what is most important. Even in the context of a Christian marriage, your first priority is not to please your spouse. It's to please God. That makes it more difficult when one of us is not believing because there's not the understanding there that our first and primary call is to please the Lord. But God is still powerful enough to move in that situation. I want everybody to hear me right now. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you've been married, whether you're planning on getting married, whether you're planning on staying single for the rest of your life, all of these things, God is not intimidated by any part of your story. There isn't something that is too messed up that he can't redeem. There isn't a part of your story that is too dark. There isn't a part of your story that is is lacking in too much hope that he can't write a better story from it if you surrender it to him. Does that make sense? I hope you hear my heart in this. And so, Father, I pray for my friends in this room. 
Lord, I pray for marriages that you'd strengthen them. Lord, I pray for those that are single right now, Lord, that you would, you would encourage their hearts with the knowledge of the Lord, that your Holy Spirit would draw them closer to you. Lord, I pray for those that are walking through difficulties in marriage and maybe even those that, uh, of relationships where they're not on the same page in following the Lord. I ask that you would do a, a wonderful miracle in bringing spouses together in pursuit of Jesus. Lord, and I, I'm asking for all of those that are single right now, Lord, that would be, would be one day entering into a covenant of marriage by your will. Lord, I'm asking for the right people. I'm asking for the right spouses. Lord, I'm asking that you would do a work that man cannot. That you might be glorified. That relationships, that marriages in the church would glorify Jesus. Lord, we reject and we rebuke these statistics that the divorce rate has to be as high in the church as it is as high outside of the church. Lord, we understand that the gift of marriage is a beautiful thing. We understand that the enemy would like to destroy it. But Lord, we believe your Holy Spirit is at work. You do wonderful works of reconciliation. You're an expert in it. So we ask for your help. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are married in this room, we have a wonderful married couple small group that sometimes meets. I guess we, it, it, it will again. Not this week. But next week, right? Yeah, as long as nobody's throwing up, it'll be next week. We meet on Friday nights. We'd love for you guys to join us. I say this because I don't want anybody to leave here this morning. If you have questions about this passage, about this text, there's a lot more we could talk about. There's a lot more in depth that we could be. My office is always open. My ear is always open. And there would be nothing more than I'd love to do but walk through these verses and walk through scripture with you because I know that this is a delicate topic. Um, but I trust the Holy Spirit is gracious and kind um, to guide us in it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to find more of our messages, get connected with our church, or partner with us financially, you can find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Thanks again, and have a blessed week.